You're listening to the Today's Conveyancer podcast, the leading source of information for residential property lawyers in England and Wales. Don't forget to subscribe and sign up to our free newsletter at todaysconveyancer.co.uk. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Hello, welcome everybody to the Today's Conveyancer podcast. Uh, Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Simon McCrum. Known to many of you, Simon is a solicitor. He's the former managing partner of top 200 law firm Derby's, uh, which went from credit crunch difficulties through to being the fastest growing law firm in the UK. Uh, Derby's was acquired by Knights in 2016. And for the last five to six years, Simon has been working through his consultancy, McCrum and Co., helping law firms become the perfect legal business and is the author, no doubt we'll talk about this, Simon, of The Perfect Legal Business. Thank you, Simon, for joining the podcast. Lovely to be here. First thing I want to sort of ask you is is about your experience as managing partner of, of Derby's and uh, sort of more broadly in, in law firm management. What's your experience of running teams and, and, and law firms? Okay, so... Um, I was I, I qualified in 1990 as a commercial litigation solicitor at a magnificent firm called Pannoni's. Um, after a while of uh, moving into business development and marketing as well as fee earning, uh, I was asked to uh, take over the, the the lead of the commercial litigation team. Now, management wasn't something I'd done before, so. Uh, the managing partner, Joy Kingsley, at the time asking me to do this was undertaking quite a brave project. Um, she supported me and I went into the team. I worked with the uh, five or six equity partners in the team. And uh, as a team of leaders, we we had a, a, nothing short of a great success in, in structuring the team right structuring the lawyers right, getting the right lawyers, doing the right work. And the thing was a, a real success. It was a, it really was in every in hard and soft ways. So that was my entry into management rather than fee earning. Uh, I was then asked, uh, presumably on the back of that kind of su- cooperative success, to work with other teams. And I ended up as the team leader in, I recall, uh, crime and fraud. And uh, I was also uh, head of construction and my being head of litigation and those other team leaders that kind of put me overseeing insolvency, debt recovery. Very, so various teams like that. And in each example, I had to understand their strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, marketplaces, all that kind of thing. And uh, generally, they all went quite well. I, I, you know, it, uh, it, it was a, uh, it was really, really pleasant to see, and it was nice to, to have them all crossing the line above target uh, each year. So that, 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 that was my. It wasn't a plan on my part. It just kind of happens, doesn't it? It's not the same for the rest of my story, but at that stage, that was all down to a managing partner seeing something in one of their people that would be of real value to the business, and that was Joy Kingsley. Uh, now, many another, many uh, many other managing partners would have made me sit at my desk 
and uh, bill 150. Well, that's garbage. What I what the value that the business got out of stimulating and fire starting a fire in someone's belly was uh, much more significant. So, on, amongst everything else, I took that away with me as well, and I, I, I put that into practice in later years when I saw stars that could perform in different ways, and hopefully, I gave them their wings as well. We're going to come on and talk a little bit about uh, the book, uh, the the perfect legal business. What is the perfect legal business? Yeah, it's a it's a short question, isn't it? The You're going to tell me there isn't a perfect legal business. No, there the very much is. The, it's a short question, but the answer is quite big. Um, and the, 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 this whole so when I work with law firms, I help them go down the road towards becoming the perfect legal business. Um, the perfect legal business is a, they're three very carefully chosen words. Um, it's not the perfect firm of solicitors. The country's full of the perfect firm of solicitors. They are people who are hell bent on helping clients change their lives for the better and uh, who are very expert and who do change clients lives. We are blessed with them. Um, and the, we're blessed with the perfect firm of solicitors. Where where the challenge comes is the finance, the hard business aspect to the perfect firm of solicitors, because in my experience, far and wide, uh, including on my own account, often you in in pursuing the goal to of becoming the perfect legal, sorry, the perfect firm of solicitors, you miss a lot of the other things. Uh, the, the the hard business things. So the perfect legal business is the other dimension and it allows the perfect firm of solicitors to be sustainable, to be very sustainable in the long term and to extend its reach and its magic. Now, without the perfect legal business aspects, the perfect firm of solicitors runs out of steam. I've been there. Money pours out of a firm of solicitors. It's incredible. Salaries. I mean, the, the, the salary day in the legal profession is an incredible moment. Per, uh, rental, IT, the ever-growing need for IT, professional indemnity insurance, marketing spend, money just pours out. If the perfect firm of solicitors is not the perfect legal business as well, then it runs out of steam very quickly. You, all you need is two or three bad months and the whole landscape changes, personalities change, language change, behaviours change. So the perfect legal business is the perfect firm of solicitors delivering great service, life changing expertise, but with a hard business aspect, which in short means you're charging a good price. You are not giving your work away. You are recording all your time. You are billing all the time that you have recorded and you are getting paid quickly. That's business. So dare I ask then, Simon, if you were to start again, what would you change about the way that, that you did things? Uh, there's no question in, in my mind, David, I would get the business thing. You have to get it all in place. I would get my business ducks in a row as well as my expertise and service ducks in a row. I had I had some beautiful ducks, believe me, all in a beautiful row, but I didn't look at for example, pricing. I, I, we had an amazing service. We delivered a great service every lawyer every time. That was why. That's why we all got up in the morning. We had an amazing team doing that. We just didn't charge enough for it. We didn't um, use 
leverage when it came to pricing it. What we should have said is we deliver in a knockout service. You won't get anything like it anywhere, but it's dear. We never did that. OK, then I'd stop looking at my billing. I always looked at billing. And in fact, what I'd look at is uh, how much we, we were pricing, whether we were selling five hours per lawyer per day, whether they were billing five so forgive me, whether they were billing 100% of that when they came to bill, and I would make sure we got paid bloody quickly. Now, I fell short at each one of those docks, and the cumulative effect is massive. If you get pricing wrong, and then you're not recording all the hours that you're spending, and then when it comes to billing, you're not billing all the time you've recorded, and you're not chasing, you get, you're not getting paid quickly. That causes quite a lot of pain when actually what you're delivering to clients is, is an unbelievable life-changing experience. So if I had my time again, I'd be, I, would, I wouldn't be as afraid of the business side of things as, as I kind of was. I appreciate that for a lot of our listeners, uh, hourly billing had been done away with really, particularly yep. within conveyancing where you see a lot more fixed fees. Um, I mean, I, I guess two questions really arise out of that. One is, I mean, is is hourly billing dead? Is it is it still relevant to yep. uh, to the modern law firm? Um, and the second question is, how do conveyances demonstrate that that value? Because it is an incredibly competitive marketplace. Yes, uh, um, I've I read. I must have read a hundred articles telling me hourly billing is dead. It's it, but take it from me. It is totally alive. It is totally alive, save for residential conveyancing, hourly billing still rules the roost by 90 percent. No question. Um, then if we come to conveyancing, so when I work with law firms to get their profitability up and their cash up from the same cases, the same clients and the same lawyers, it's totally possible and quite quickly, believe me, when I do that, I have to work with each team. And my 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 track record, if you like, of working with different teams allows me to do this. So I work with each team and one of those teams is is often the, the residential conveyancing team. And there there's there's a there, if you want to extract for the firm maximum value, you're giving maximum value to clients, of course. But if you're doing the same on the other side of the coin there, what you look at is um, I look at two things there. I don't look at hourly rates. I don't look at time recording because a lot of the time I, I any any conveyancing team that is time recording, I urge them to drop it. It's it's it, it, it's garbage. Um, I, I instead I look at number of completions per unit that a unit is a it might be a lawyer or a pairing or a team number of completions and average case size by which I mean bill. And it's a simple number at any point in the year you do. You can divide the, the, the total billing by the number of cases. You can see what the average fee is. And then it's a question of getting that up. And there's two ways to get that up. One is at the quotation stage, the, the core price. And uh, all to, I, there isn't a part of this country I haven't been to where a, the law, the residential conveyancing team haven't said to me, that's the maximum we can charge in this part of the country. <laughs> They're always wrong. You're always wrong. You can you can charge more, but you can't just say we're dear. You have to say we're dear because. And I help residential teams articulate the because part. And that's why we're dear. And if you want cheap, then, you know, go go somewhere else. So you've got to get the pricing up, the core pricing by explain, explaining why. And that's all about service. Remember the last time you bought a house, Mrs. Smith? Did you have to do all the chasing? That's not the same here. 
we chase you. We chase the, the mortgage. We chase the buildings. We chase, we chase the estate. We chase the other side. That's what you get here. And that's why we're dear. You have to have a because. And then the other thing is to price in extras. And uh, for, I encourage firms that haven't got a menu to uh, of extra work to have one. And if they have one to develop, to really drill into it, because there's always things they are doing for free and no one should do anything for free. This is high risk, high value work. And then you can begin if you've got a kind of I call them clocks, if you've got clocks that show average price per unit per operating unit within your team, you, what you will see is some people, some people are very good at capture, quote, capturing extras and some aren't. And that's where you can maximize uh, your profit. Get It's money for nothing, really getting more from the same clients and cases. So it's all about uh, have, if you can't explain why you're dear, you shouldn't be dear. Can I ask a follow up question, Simon, which is around um, fee scales? Do you then advocate these fee scales in relation to the purchase price or the sell, sale price? Yes. Or do you advocate a different kind of, of pricing model? I'll tell you the best pricing model I have ever seen in residential conveyancing was a, a one man band. I won't name him, but I'd love to, um, who got rid of all his other work. And he so he's a one man band solicitor. All he did was conveyancing in a nice part of the world, nice ish part of the world. It wasn't necessarily aristocratic wags type territory, but it was a nice ish part of the world. And he only did conveyancing on an hourly rate. And if you wanted a fixed price, he had a list of firms he would send you to. And he was able to explain why he was in a, his was an hourly rate. And the answer was, uh, in, in fact, I'll tell the full story. It's in my book. Um, he um, he said to me, how long have you been in my office today? I said half an hour or something like that. He went, has the phone rung? I said, the phone hasn't rung once. He said it never does. I ring everybody. All day, every day. I ring everybody and such as people's experience in the past of going through conveyancing, they are willing to pay me for that kind of service. So again, it's the whole service point. And he explained to me he was able to show me that his average fee was on a certain level of property was three times what my firm was quoting at the time. And he said, people refer cases to me. Uh, people refer clients to me repeatedly. They come back to me time after time because of the service. Now, that's there's not a lot of people are brave enough to try that, although I have seen some law firms try a VIP method where they quote their scale fees and they say on top of that, we also have a VIP where we um, we, if you like, promise that those particular lawyers never have more than five cases on at any one time and they're going to knock your knock your lights out with their service. That's another way of doing it. Other than that, yes, scale fees. But with one proviso scale fees nowadays the average house is you know we're heading we're heading the average house is approaching what is it three or four hundred thousand quid now it's not long before a house before many houses are in the 750 million bracket you only need one of them on your professional indemnity claims record and the lights get very dim come october if you're taking this stuff on you you've got to not be afraid to charge a nice premium for doing that kind of work because it could be the end of your firm you talked about the perfect, um, the perfect solicitor business. You talked about the perfect legal business. Um, how do you then go about judging success in a in a law firm? Okay, let's let, let, let's talk about what failure looks like, shall we? 
and then success will become self-evident. Failure. Failure means making no profit. Success means being profitable. That's by charging the right price, recording all, all your time if you're a time recording team, um, catching all the extras if you're a residential team, billing everything you've recorded and getting paid quickly. That's called profit. OK, next. Profit is nothing without cash. A failure is is by a profitable law firm that just doesn't have doesn't get its bills paid. And that happens. A law firm can be very profitable. Look at us. We've sent out hundreds of bills. That makes you profitable. Cash poor. None of the bills are being paid. So success is a rigid adherence to payment behaviors. You don't you can't use my firm if you don't pay me. End of. OK, failure is loads of lawyers leaving you all the time, a revolving door. Success is is that is people staying and people joining you. Good people staying and it all success. Failure is someone doing the same job in 20 years time. Success is uh, people developing into ever more, ever greater areas of responsibility, moving into management, moving into making other people great that kind of thing uh, and the big one for me is success as a law firm if you're delivering a crap service you shouldn't be in the business of being a law firm because cl clients turn to us when they've got a life need and success is changing clients lives for the better not the worse so then what in your view needs to change if at all in the way that we deliver legal services that's no, a big question. It is a big question. I've got no no perception or no feeling that we don't have the expertise to change clients' lives. We have that. And OK, structures are changing and we're, we're bringing in pyramid pyramid type structures with more junior lawyers at the bottom, which is I personally, that's how it's got to be. So the real expertise is maybe moving up the pyramid. I get all that. But I think we I think we've got enough expertise to deliver uh, legal services that are fit for purpose. Where I believe it breaks down, and I saw this on another survey only recently, I, I couldn't believe still the level of dissatisfaction on the part of clients with the service they get from solicitors firms. I, it, was, it wasn't one of my surveys, it was someone else. I couldn't believe it was still the same. Where it breaks down is not in the expertise, but in the delivery of the expertise. And it's things like, no, I have no idea where my case is up to or my case sat there. It's in my book. It's all in my book. Push and tell, I call it. You've got to we've got to have the structures to push the case and at every stage tell the client what is going on. Push and tell. How hard can that be? But it is hard if a lawyer's got 200 cases. And I think uh, accepted wisdom needs to change. It's n actually I my my view is and I've, I've put it into practice so many times now that I'm, I'm, I'm utterly convinced of it. You never need more cases. You always need more lawyers that allows you to spend the proper time on a file, not snatch time. It allows all files that you've got to move forward. We're not in the storage business. What the hell is we're going to get out of having 50 files in a cabinet? So if you've got the right caseloads, they can move forward fully. And, and, and I'll tell you what, you, you, a guaranteed way to make sure no one records any time. Give them 300 files where they're running from pillar to post all day. Give someone 10. 
watch how happy the clients are watch what the whip is on the file how much it builds up because you're doing a proper job and watch how happy the clients are to pay it clients biggest complaint is my bill isn't big enough by which I mean someone spent five minutes on that I've been a client of law firms where I got a bill at the end um, I just couldn't believe the size of the bill and then when you look at look it down it's all it's made up of one minute units sorry one units someone's looked at my file someone and charged me 30 30 quid it's nothing why not don't do that please please spend two hours on my file instead moving it on but the lawyer in question couldn't because there are too many files that's what i believe we need to change and have courage in having more lawyers with lower caseloads the final question then simon uh and uh i think this is this this is already happening i think we're already seeing this i'm certainly seeing um an awful lot about about uh, law firm culture in the news and we're publishing a lot about it in today's conveyancer but do law firms need to change their cultures to attract the very best talent um where do I begin? This is this is the issue. This is an issue of the moment. Um, different things whack the legal industry at different times. And the thing that is whacking middle tier law firms around the country, middle tier and, and lower in terms of size, is the departure. Never mind the retention of talent and the attraction of talent, but the departure of talent. There's a very dire hunger on the need of the bigger firms for lawyers and they are just dipping in at will to the middle and lower tier size firms and just buying their stuff. Buying, I mean, the pay rises that I'm hearing about are shocking. And in fact, on New Year's, round about January 2nd, when everyone got back to work and were able, was able to update their LinkedIn profiles, I have never seen so many change of firm notifications as I saw. I've got 20 odd thousand LinkedIn connections. There were many hundreds of my connections who are now changing firms. That's what's going on. You cannot run a law firm by losing if you're losing staff. So the question is, how do you keep them? And then how do you attract them coming back to your question? Because at the minute, not only can you are you losing staff if you're in a middle tier or lower or, or smaller tier firm, you're losing staff. You can't replace them because they're all being hoovered up. So you need to get things right. So let's stop the revolving door firstly. What do we need to do to stop your good people leaving? Your bad people, let them leave. I'm a great advocate of that. Your good people, we've got to keep them. One of the, so let's look at what keeps good people at firms. What keeps good people at firms is seeing that bad people aren't tolerated. If this is a kind of place where you can do what you want, behave like you want, get the same kind of pay rise as me by doing less, then I'm sorry, it's not the kind of place I'm going to stay at. So you ha it has to be an environment where good people are celebrated and rewarded and um, and promoted and bad people aren't tolerated. That's the first thing. Second thing, if while you've got the good people there, uh, what are we doing with them? Do they know where they're going? They deserve to know that there's a plan for them that people are going to not listen to them when they go knocking on their door, but actually come knocking on their door. Hey, we're talking about making you great. Come and keep talking with us. We're investing in you. We're bringing in outside forces 
for example, to help develop you as a businessman or woman for the future? Because I don't know about you, but maybe you you might not want to be a fee owner. You might want to be a team leader. You might want to be a partner in charge of a division. You might have business ideas you want to explore within our lovely framework. Well, let me tell you, this is the right place for you. People, ha if you, if there's no future, then a future that's being promised is very attractive, particularly if there's another 10 grand wrapped around it. 10 grand is a lot of money when you're applying for a mortgage. It's a 50 grand loan. So these are the, you've got to, you, you know, we've got to start thinking how are we going to make these people great and invest in them because that will make them stay. Because what's their other alternative? Go to a giant where they're going to be 50 people fighting for promotion every year. That's quite hard work for them. But but the, the problem is the big firm can make that look attractive. So you, if you're a middle, me, medium sized firm, by which I mean, you know, anything five to 10 million is medium sized to me, 10, that kind of thing with, with 5,200 employees. That's where you've got to keep your people because it's very hard to replace them. So in terms of culture, uh, yes, I, I, changing, it does you no harm at all. Change to a culture of excellence and only excellence. Change to a culture of reward. Uh, oh, you, you know, people say to me, oh, you know, they're expecting a pay rise of, I don't know, two grand. Well, crikey, do you know what a recruitment fee is to replace them? Don't give them two, give them four. Change a give and give time. It's not people aren't are just that obsessed with salary. They want to know they're going somewhere. And I always used to, you know, when I think about the things that made me most proud, it was when we promoted someone or when we given someone a new opportunity, just knowing that they were going home that night to their wife or their husband or their parents to say, you are not going to believe what happened today. So in terms of culture, if your culture isn't spreading magic dust, someone else is going to. Spreading magic dust. I like it, Simon. Um, if we were expecting anything else, then uh, we should have been a bit daft because typically forthright from you, as uh, as might be expected. Um, uh, we've sort of run out of questions and, and run out of time, which is quite handy, Simon. So thank you very much indeed for for joining the podcast. Really, really insightful. I think I think the, the the analogy you draw between the perfect solicitor business and the perfect legal business is is really interesting. And of course, you've got the book, The Perfect Legal Business, which is available now. Where do people get it from, Simon? It's available on my website. It's it's uh, macrumandco.com. Uh, I deliberately do that. You can't buy any e-version e e of it or anything. I want people to buy it and write all over it. And I'm used and I, I take massive pride from this. I have got managing partners, ladies and gentlemen, managing partners from leading firms around the country are walking around. I know because they've shown me with this covered in post-its in their briefcase. Fantastic. Well, Simon, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure having you on. Thank My you for sharing too. your insights. And um, thank you very much indeed to everybody for listening. You're listening to the Today's Conveyancer podcast, the leading source of information for residential property lawyers in England and Wales. Don't forget to subscribe and sign up to our free newsletter at todaysconveyancer.co.uk. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.